Well, in Psalm 73, this is where we go to. And so the question of this is, why is it if there is a good God that the wicked seem to prosper? Why is it if God is good, it should be this. Logically, we think this way. God is good. Those that follow him should prosper and do well. And then those who stand against God and are wicked should do bad. That's logically in our mind how it's supposed to work. What's the reality? It doesn't seem, to, it doesn't seem in the short run of how it looks to always work that way. And so the question comes in of, well, people ask these questions. Well, can there even, is there even a God? Because if there is, he's either powerless because there's this evil or he doesn't exist because there's this because that's what it looks like but the bible is telling us to go beyond what it looks like and beyond because there are other factors that we do not see and that's why we're called to trust and take god at his word we're called in this moment to think and not and i don't mean to take it on blind faith I mean to be open to realize that we just don't have all the answers in front of us when we see things, right? We don't. But God has a faithful way of continuing to bring things before us and show us yet again, you've missed something. You're not seeing it. Ultimately, I'm, calling, I'm telling you, trust in me. Trust in me. Let's go to Psalm 73. Let's look at this in verse 1. And again, our concept that we look at today is God is a good God in whom you can take refuge. Verse 1 says this, Surely God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. He makes a theological statement here. God is good to Israel. Well, how do we know if he's good to Israel? Well, let's think about it. As they were caught in the middle of Egypt, being slaves, cried out that God did not leave them and abandon them to this oppressive regime, but God heard them and came to them and began to set everything in motion to set them free. Not only to set them free, but to give them a land that would prosper them. He was, he, and time and time again, he was able to bring his people where they needed to be, even when they were disgustingly unfaithful, right? Time and time again, he had gone through with great grace, with great power, with great love, and would continue to bring them through things. And sometimes they would worship him and they would do away with their idols, and other times... They would absolutely fall back into the same idolatry. But God had been good to Israel. You couldn't doubt that. It's a theological fact. It had been seen. It was an evidential fact. It was right there in front of them. But he says this, But as for me, my feet had almost slipped. I had nearly lost my foothold. Now, what would cause this individual who had experienced God in his life be faithful but would almost cause him to slip and seemingly fall away. Have y'all ever had that experience in your life? 
Have you ever had that experience where you know something is true, and yet because of what you experience, all of a sudden you begin to question God? It is a very common occurrence. It is something that happens as we have this intimacy with God. This is what started the problem. Verse 3, For I envied the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. I envied the arrogant. What caused me to slip? All of a sudden, I saw the arrogant over here, and I began to say, They've got it better than me. And I'm following after God. And yet they're the ones that seem to be getting more prosperous, blessed, taken care of. In fact, if you go back and you look at the way the Hebrew is written here, it says, for I envy the arrogant when I saw the shalom of the wicked. The shalom, that idea of that holistic peace, that dwelling, that blessing of God. For the reader of this, it's a, it's a shocking statement. God doesn't give his shalom to the wicked. But this is what the writer is saying here. That's what it looks like. That's what it looks like. That's what it looks like. For I envied the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. They have no struggles. Their bodies are healthy and strong. They are free from common human burdens. They are not plagued by human ills. Therefore, pride is their necklace. They clothe themselves with violence. They adorn themselves with this necklace to show how great that they are. And they clothe themselves with violence. It's outward. They put it out for all to see, and yet it doesn't seem to make a difference. From their callous hearts comes iniquity. Their evil imaginations have no limits. They scoff and speak with malice. With arrogance, they threaten oppression. Their mouths lay claim to heaven, and their tongues take possession of the earth. Everywhere they're at, everything that they're doing, they seem to prosper. And the people that follow God seem to be getting nothing. Therefore, their people turn to them and drink up waters in abundance. They say, how would God know? Does the Most High know anything? Not only do they seem to be prospering, but now they're mocking God. They take up all the resources. They take up everything that's going on. They seem to be getting taken care of, wealthy, prosperous, peace, no ills, no problems. And on top of it, they mock God and they say, like, what's he going to do? <laughs> what's he going to do? This is what the wicked are like, always free of care. They go on amassing wealth. Our first point. You can be tempted to doubt God's goodness when you see the wicked prosper. If we go by just how it looks or how it feels, that's when it puts us in very dangerous territory. When we live our life based on just how it looks and how it feels, we find ourselves in 
dangerous ground because how it looks is, again, either God is weak or he's non-existent. Or we go by how it feels. Have your feelings ever been wrong? Why do we put such emphasis on our feelings? Why? Because we say that seems to have the real temperature of what's going on around me, how it feels. If it feels, it, it has to always be right by how I feel. But that's the lie we tell ourselves, is it not? So, follow your heart is a very common saying. Follow your heart. When we would... When we sat down with Shiloh and Caleb at times too, but Shiloh definitely because of certain movies that would be all full of song and dance and people, you know, and doing this. And then they would say, you're caught in a dilemma and you don't know what to do. Follow your heart. And so we sat down with Shiloh at one point in time and we were like going, I'm glad you're having fun with this movie. I think it's great. There's a lot of things there, but let's just talk for a moment, just to make sure. We would sit down and we'd talk about, so how do you go and you look at the dilemma this person's going through? And how do you look at it through a biblical lens? And I know it sounds crazy. We would sit down with our child and do this when they were younger, but I'm like going, teach them. Teach them. I can't control what she does. I can't control what I put into her. Dana can control what she puts into her. We can control the wisdom we put into Caleb at least the fact that we give it. And we said, honey, and Dana did this. She goes, I want you to know that the Bible says here that above all, the heart is wicked and deceitful. We're not saying that you can't have feelings and you can't go, but we want you to make sure that you realize that sometimes your desires are not godly desires. And so how do you begin to weigh through all this stuff? How do you make sure of it? And again, we're very blessed that we have two children that are very respectful, very loving, that they hear, even if they don't always want to hear. I'm very thankful for my children, I'm very thankful for what God's doing in their life. If we go by how it feels or what it looks like, it's very limited information. Because if we don't watch it, we have not factored into a lot of other things that's going on. If I go by how it feels, I mean, there's a lot of things that I... If I went by how it feels, there's a lot of things that I would have given up in life a long time ago. Because of how it feels. But what was the difference? I began to figure out what is truth versus how it feels. And truth began to show me that how it feels isn't exactly always truth. It's just a lot of things that are in here. Why did he almost stumble? I envied the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. 
They seem to be getting wealth and blessed and I'm getting nothing. And I, this is why. So these factors here, only these factors begin to throw him off and he began to lose his foothold. You can be tempted to doubt God's goodness when you see the wicked prosper. Now let's go on. It says, Surely in vain I have kept my heart pure and have washed my hands in innocence. He goes back and he says, Look at them. Now look at me. Surely in vain I have kept my heart pure and have washed my hands in innocence. I did what was right and what was the point. All day long I have been afflicted and every morning brings new punishments. I have chased after you, Lord. And what have I gotten out of it? Punishments, afflictions, I've not gotten ahead. Nothing seems to be working. This seems to be all pointless of chasing after you. If I had spoken out like that, I would have betrayed your children. When I tried to understand all this, it troubled me deeply. I'm trying to work all this out in my mind. And in my mind, the way these factors are, it's almost like, is it worth doing this? Is it worth doing this? You know, it's interesting that, that we run into this at times because let's go, let's, if we dare to dream pre-COVID days, right? What was that like, right? Pre-COVID days. But think about this. When we say that we follow God and then we get upended by a circumstance, what happens at times? That was actually a question, but I guess I'm not supposed to ask those, right? We have a tendency, we have a tendency to compare other people to what I'm doing. And sometimes we get really upset and angry. God, what's the point of loving people if they're just going to do this to me? God, what's the point of being fair and honest if it seems to put me and hurt me? What's the point of having a Christian life, if it seems like nobody's listening, doesn't seem that anybody cares, and on top of that, all it seems to do is hurt my goals, my dreams, my thoughts. Because these people aren't following you and they seem to be so much more blessed than I am. Has anybody ever thought that way or am I just up here speaking something? Has anybody thought that way? Am I the only one? I've thought that way. Doubting God can tempt you to leave the faith. We're going to talk about this just here in a minute, but I just... There's a reason why God calls us to trust Him. Because we are finite creatures that we don't have all the facts. We are finite creatures that we don't fully understand everything. 
And as we begin to look at God and understand God with what little we can, with what He reveals in the Scriptures, and we go and seek with Him, and we sit in His presence, and we begin to find out that I don't see all the factors like He does. I don't see everything the way He sees it. I didn't realize how controversial this is, but when Jesus says, love your enemies, do you know how controversial that is? There are religions that will tell you that there's no way that that won't be attributed to Jesus. That's a weak, weak saying. That's a weak person that would love. You don't love your enemies. You pay them back. You put them in their place or they'll run you over. And yet Jesus says outlandish and crazy things. Why? Because he's God and sees beyond just the temporary moments. He sees in the moment that it is godly love that conquers all things. When we have this doubt, we're either tempted to leave the faith or, I'll say this is just as dangerous, or we begin to read the scripture and we begin to reinterpret what it says and make it into our own religion. I like the part about Jesus dying, but I'm not going to take the rest of this because it's too costly. I, I love the fact that Jesus loves me, but, but, but I'm going to ignore these parts of the Bible because uh, I tried them and it cost me. And so thus, I explain those passages away. See, that's doubting. God tells us exactly who he is and calls us to trust him, all of him, everything about him. What changed for this man? It says, but then, till I entered the sanctuary of God, then I understood their final destiny. All of a sudden it changed because he did this. Instead of wrestling with it on his own, and these are where our doubts come in, we try to wrestle with this all on our own instead of going with God with our questions. Lord, why is it this way? God, why is it this way? Lord, I want to understand. Notice the man that's talking with Jesus. Once healing brought in. And he says, Jesus, if you can do this. And Jesus says, if. And he says, I do believe. Help me with my unbelief. He has faith. He just doesn't understand how this works, but he has faith. See, when we have questions, don't be scared of taking your questions to God. God's not worried about us taking our questions to him because it's in the presence of God wrestling with these things. God, I don't understand. And it looks like this, but I'm coming to you because your Bible, your word says otherwise. Show me how that's even possible. I want to believe. Help my unbelief. Do you know how many times that we suffer in silence because we won't go to God with what's going on? How many things have we suffered in silence and not gone to God about because we've said a couple of things? Either one... 
I don't even think God could fix this. I've believed that lie before. The enemy's lied to me. This situation could never be changed. And thus, I'll just go about my business. Church, God is almighty and all-powerful. And He calls us to lay things at His feet to do what He will. Even to the point that sometimes we said, well, I laid it at His feet and He didn't do anything. Church, God is not like us and He's not on our timetable or our calendar. There's a pastor named George Mueller, 1800s. I encourage you to go and to study about different people that have walked with Christ faithfully. But George Mueller was a man of prayer. I mean a man of prayer. He opened a couple of orphanages, did all kinds of, uh, as a church pastor, and did all these different things. But as he opened these orphanages, he didn't go around fundraising. He didn't go around uh, asking people for things. He prayed, and he asked his people to pray. He even asked the t- they prayed, they prayed, they prayed, they prayed, they prayed. One day, they had run out of milk. Now, this, we probably, I don't even know how you would do this nowadays, but God knows. I don't even know how you do this nowadays. You get shut down for something like this, but God still has a way of doing these amazing, faithful things. They were out of milk for the kids, out of milk. Sat down at the table. There's no milk. George Mueller sits down. He goes, we're going to pray. And that's what we're going to do. I'm going to tell you right now, that just automatically, I'm like, how in the world do you do this? They sat down. They began to pray. As they prayed, I don't know how long they prayed, but as they prayed, all of a sudden, knock on the door. I'm not lying about this. The milkman comes to the door and he says, we have just had this supply that somebody else shut down. They're not going to take this. This whole milk is going to spoil. Can you all use this? Now, as soon as I say that, you're like going, that's not even true. Church, why do we believe that's not true? Because I believe that we look at our own circumstances and we begin to say, well, it's true for them or not for me, or maybe it's just made up. Church, I will say this. The reason why we don't experience things is because we don't sit in God's presence enough. We, don't, we, we, ask, we ask like a kid at Christmas for the list of toys that we want instead of going to him recognizing of this intimate relationship of God. Every day, I'm trusting you. You know what's best, but I'm asking you to do in a relationship of loving and trusting you. See, when we come into the presence of God, it was not until that point that then he understood, and here's the problem to the dilemma, he understood their destiny. Whose destiny? The wicked. He was envious of what they had until he came to God and God opened his mind and says, what are you envious about? Think about this. It says this in verse 19. How suddenly are they destroyed, completely swept away by tears. 
They are like a dream when one awakes. When you arise, Lord, you will despise them as fantasies. He begins to tell them this. These people that you are envious about are going to experience destruction. And if they don't turn to God, eternal damnation. The things that you're envious about are the very things that will destroy and kill them eternally. And you're envious of this? Selfishly, I don't want to suffer on this earth at all. Right? Reality, if I put it into this viewpoint, I would rather suffer for 45 years or 75 years or 95 years, not getting anything in this life, struggling, hurting, going through the turmoil. And then for all of eternity, if I've been faithful and put faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, for him to say, well done, and for eternity, reap blessings and rewards from my father. To see Jesus face to face and say, well done, my good and faithful servant. We are so busy trying to set up kingdoms here to rule, kingdoms here to control, that we sometimes don't look anything like Christ in being faithful to what he calls. There's a bigger picture that goes on. How many of you all would whine over trying to get Somebody stole 50 bucks from you and you would whine about it and whine about it and whine about it. Would you whine about it knowing that that person was going to have to pay for what's done and you were going to end up with a billion bucks later on? Would that change your perspective? If justice was going to be done to them and you were going to be well taken care of, would you really focus and complain about that 50 bucks? Isn't that what we do here on earth, though? The things that we, look, look, they're getting away with this, and they're getting away with that, and they're getting away with this. Nobody's getting away with nothing. We all are going to have to answer to God. We all are going to have to give an account, believer and non-believer, an account to God for everything that we have said, done, and been about. Everybody's going to have to give an account to God. Those Without faith in Jesus Christ, they will be eternally damned. They will be in hell. The people that have wronged you, they're not getting away with anything. But then those that are in Christ, to put faith in Christ, those that you have wronged, you have no reward. Other things that you've done in faith, you'll be rewarded for that. But things that you did to other people, regardless of how the circumstances looked, you won't be rewarded for that. You will have to answer for what's gone on. The reward that could have been yours in that moment will not be given to you. There's other rewards that you can have, again, in faith. But church, here's what we continue to miss. The reason why we do what we do is not based on what has happened to us or what they've done. The reason why we follow is what Jesus has done for us and who lives inside of us and called to be faithful. We will be rewarded and taken care of as we follow after him. Listen to this. The answer to your doubts is being in the presence of God. See about this. In the presence of God, you, one, see the truth of the wicked's end. Verses 18 
Surely you place them on slippery ground. You cast them down to ruin. How suddenly are they destroyed, completely swept away by tears. They are like a dream when one awakes. When you arise, Lord, you will despise them as fantasies. You see, in this moment, the author saw the end. Those that he was envious are actually going to be having to stand before God and pay for what they've done. You see the truth of the wicked's end. You're no longer envious if you realize that they're not getting away with anything. You see the foolishness of your thinking. When my heart was grieved and my spirit embittered, I was embittered over this situation because of how it felt and looked, but I didn't see it through your eyes, God. I was senseless and ignorant. I was a brute beast before you. That which I thought was so logical and that what I thought was so to be upset about, I realized in this moment, God, I'm like a, I'm like a dumb animal before you. Acting on instinct instead of a human being created in your image to engage you in faith. You see the faithfulness of God, his strength and promises Verse 23, yet I am always with you. You hold me by your right hand. You guide me with your counsel. And after you word, you will take me into glory. Does God promise to provide for his people? Jesus says it, Sermon on the Mount. God shows it through Old and New Testament. God's the provider of his people. Not your paycheck, not your stuff, not the relationships you know. God is your provider. Yet many times we get so caught up and we don't go before God of saying, God, instead of how it looks, Lord, how do I need to be called to be faithful to you? You are trustworthy. I may have to pay consequences for some decisions I've made, right? Right? that does not negate God being faithful as we repent and come before him and say, Lord, everything I have is yours. Everything I don't have is yours. We see God's faithfulness when we enter into his presence. We see the sufficiency of God. He is truly all I need. Verse 25, whom and I, who have I in heaven but you? And on earth, earth has nothing I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Let me read it again. Whom have I in heaven but you? And on earth, and, and earth has nothing I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. It's like somebody needs to write a song about that. You know it? Maybe you're too young and don't know that song, but that's a song from a long time ago, straight out of the Scriptures. What do we desire? Do we truly desire God? Or are there other things that we are desiring in order to make us feel sufficient? What is it that we are searching for? Because church, I will tell you, if we don't find sufficiency in God, nothing else on this earth is going to satisfy us. 
Nothing on earth is going to, if we don't start with God, nothing else will ever satisfy us. Nothing. The one thing that you think will satisfy you, I'm going to tell you right now, if you put it before God, it will become a poison in your life. It will become a poison in your life. You tell me the one thing. What's the one thing right now that you said, if that changed, we would be perfect. I'm going to tell you, you put that one thing up, that one thing, whatever it is, it will become a poison to your life. Why? Because it's man-made. It is not of God. Because only God gives us our sufficiency. Only God gives us what we need. And everything else really is an illusion. You put God first, you'd be amazed of how he puts things right, but also this, that even as they don't go right, how you find your peace and not in what's going on around you or how it looks or how it feels, but in God who will not leave you, not forsake you, who is there, he's asking us to be faithful to him. The fourth point, you have the choice to be near to God and find refuge. You have the choice to be near to God and find refuge. Verse 27, those who are far from you will perish. You destroy all who are unfaithful to you. But as for me, it is good to be near God. I have made the sovereign Lord my refuge. I will tell of all your deeds. The one thing that you and I have, the one thing that you and I have is a choice to choose and trust God at His word and faithfulness. Or we begin to say, well, I know the theological truth, but this is how it really feels and looks like. Faith. And God's not scared of our questions. But when we have questions, are we taking them to God or are we trying to just figure them out ourselves? I'm going to tell you right now, you might get one or two things figured out, but after a while, you're going to find yourself bankrupt if you try to take on the issues on your own because we're not meant to do that. We are meant to be a people that is dependent upon a loving creator who made us, who knows us, who loves us and is calling us to come before him to be dependent completely upon Him. We have that choice. 